Hello, listeners, and welcome to Closing Time, the podcast that provides an inside look at the world of healthcare startups and venture capital. I'm Hallie Tecco. And I'm Michael Esquivel. Each episode, we get the privilege of meeting entrepreneurs at the forefront of healthcare innovation. You get to eavesdrop on pitches that are reshaping healthcare from founders daring to think differently. So pull up a chair and join us as we journey into the future of healthcare, one pitch at a time. Today, we have a special guest, my good friend and venture capitalist, Lin Chao Keith, who is the founder and managing partner at Define Ventures, a fund completely dedicated to digital health. Lynn has backed exciting companies such as Hims, Folks, Found, and more. Thanks for joining us today, Lynn. Thanks for having me, guys. And of course, today's founder is Stuart Blitz, the co-founder and COO of Hone Health. And thank you, Stuart, for joining us as well. Stuart? Yeah, Stuart, maybe you can start by telling us about your background and what led you to start Hone Health. Sure. So I've been in health tech for many, many years. It's funny because I met Hallie, I think, years and years ago at the really kind of beginning of when health tech kind of started and digital health kind of started to, to take take hold in the U.S. And uh, was I'd helped two founders uh, grow a company in the diabetes space over about 10 years. So if you know uh, glucometers, you prick your finger and you'll get a drop of blood to measure your blood sugar. We grew that company over about 10 years to $100 million in revenue. We actually got our devices into a lot of the retail pharmacies out there. And it's actually funny, today, you can still go to a CVS and it's still on the shelf. We also made the first ever medical device that connected to the iPhone. This is when, again, Apple was just getting into health tech and, and hardware and that type of thing. And so it was a really fun uh, learning experience and kind of was really the early days of it. I then spent a number of years running a blood collection company. So if you're familiar with, uh, there's some devices on the market that are used to uh, draw blood painlessly. So imagine you, you, know, you go, typically you go to a LabCorp or a Quest to draw your blood for, for lab testing. Um, there's lots of diagnostics out there. There's lots of devices. And I was running one of the companies that could draw blood at home. So you put a device on your arm, you press a button, and it would draw blood painlessly for, for lab testing. Not Theranos. Uh, not Theranos. No, uh, I, I did make sure listeners know. Not I did meet Theranos. Elizabeth one time and it was interesting, but, um, uh, but and it's funny cause that's, that's always the, the question. It's like, no, this is just on the collection side, yeah. not on the diagnostic side. But what was interesting about it was, it's a, it was a, there the devices in that class, I would say in general, very, very cool, very interesting. I think it will eventually get there. None of them are ready for I would say for mass commercialization yet. And that's kind of what this, at least my discovery was in that if you think about it, right, the most common lab test you do is the CBC. None of those devices can do it. There's technical reasons why you can't. And so when you kind of like slice the market down, there's some applications for them, but it's not broad. What was really cool was I was kind of meeting a lot of the founders that were doing sort of direct-to-consumer at-home companies, both in labs and pharmacy and I kind of was like, hey, I really think this is this is the future. I was really kind of enamored with it. This is right around when when Roman and him sort of were, were starting to, to take hold. And I was very much a believer in more access, much a believer, bigger, a bigger believer in cash pay. You know, if you'd asked me 15 years ago about cash pay, I would have said, no, I, I there's something I changed my mind on. Cause I was like, no, at the end of the day, like people have insurance. Why are they paying for it? And I just changed my mind totally about that over the last decade or so. And so I saw all those companies uh, take hold. And my thesis was you were going to move to a world of direct 
access care, cash pay at home, but for, I would say, larger patient populations that, that needed care, right? And it's funny because now today we see that play out in a lot of different areas. And so I knew I wanted to do, to start a company in that space, didn't know which patient population per se. And I met my co-founder, Saad, who had been, had worked in healthcare, worked in pharma, had been an entrepreneur in the ed tech space. And uh, when he turned 35, had all the symptoms that he now like later knew are low testosterone. And um, he went to his primary care doctor who said, uh, this is just old age. This is when he was 35. And so he said, this is crazy. Like I, I'm, I eat well, I sleep well, I exercise, you know, I just, I'm like the pinnacle of health. I don't believe you, my primary care doctor telling me that it's old age and uh, took him, you know, four or five months to find a physician that understood hormones. And so uh, when I was running the blood collection company, he approached us to say, hey, I want to use these collection devices because I'm kind of working on the very early days of like thinking about what the eventual model became for own. And, um, and so we, that's how he and I met. And I was like, really cool. I'm like, I'll send you a bunch of samples. Not going to work. There's a lot of reasons why, but I'll send you as many as you want. It's a cool demo. I'm like, hey, what do you tell me about your model? And then we kind of realized that we complement each other in a lot of ways. And we kind of wanted to work on a very similar type of business. Uh, and that's how we came together. That's an amazing background and and story set. I mean, there's so many areas in your in your career of what why healthcare is fragmented and yeah. really being able to tie that journey together in an amazing customer experience. And you've had so many facets of that. So <laughs> that's that's phenomenal. Appreciate that. And so so we came so we came together because you know I realized hey. I love this model. I, I'm very bullish on patients paying cash, very bullish on net patients needing more access. The market for treating low testosterone, I was learning from Saad, a third of men over 35 have low testosterone, highly undertreated, highly underdiagnosed, highly stigmatized, right? When, when I feel like even, I can even feel a shift from when we started the company to, let me look at all in the last few months, even both men's and women's care, talking about hormones and testosterone and menopause. And like, it's, there's this big shift. But even when we started, testosterone is really stigmatized. Like I think a lot of people, when they, when they hear the word testosterone, think about bodybuilders and you're abusing testosterone, right? And it's like, well, yeah, the, any drugs out there, a lot of drugs out there can be abused, but if you use them in a clinically appropriate way, it's, it's really powerful. And so that's how we came together and realized this is a really underserved patient population to go after. And we launched the company in March of 2020. Like I really, <laughs> I wish I could tell you that we were just, you know, we're that wise to know that that is the exact month the launch of telemedicine business just happened that way. Yeah. Stuart, it's so interesting, the, the focus area that you're going after, you know, and in, in, um, you know, around, uh, as you know, having invested in hymns and found and, and folk, some of these models, yep. one of the things that we always think about it to find is what type of market development, if anything you need, because there is a uniqueness around D to C care where an individual knows their condition, knows that there may be a solution so that they're searching, if you will. And then we always think about time to value for the patient, right? Mm -hmm. Of any regimen that you might be offering mm -hmm. so that you can close all those gaps very quickly in a direct-to-consumer mm -hmm. model. And so mm -hmm. talk to us, Stuart, about 
you know, hormones. Obviously, many of us have seen many menopause companies, and you already mm-hmm. mentioned that in the women's space. Mm-hmm. Like, how do you think about market development and how do you think about like closing all those gaps from self-diagnosis to kind of, if you will, searching to then, you know, time to value of yep. any regimen and, and how you look to close those gaps? Yeah, I, it's funny. I think because I get asked all the time and, and like, there's a lot of, you know, you've probably seen this too. There's a lot of kind of like rhetoric in the VC and health tech community today. It's like, oh, like D to C is not going to work and, or it will work. And it kind of goes back and forth. And I think you hit the nail on the head that it actually works very, very well in certain markets that have a short loop that are short loop from, I know I have these, I have this, these symptoms or this issue I'm trying to solve to I can get access to care really quickly to, hey, that care actually helped me and I and I feel so much better. And at a price point where it's like, it's affordable, right? And you I feel like you have to have all those things, right? Weight loss, perfect example, right? People want to lose weight and they look at all the companies that are doing really, really well in that space, right? Trans care, obviously, investor and folks, same thing, very clear sort of like patient demographic need. I think low testosterone kind of fits that mold. That's what we found because you have patients that, know that they have all these symptoms, classic symptoms of low testosterone, you know, low mental acuity, low libido, you have trouble because you're, you're gaining weight. Uh, and so like you have all these symptoms that are happening and you don't know where to turn, right? Like in Saad's case, he went to his primary care doctor who said, I don't know, like they just, primary care is not well equipped to treat that, right? Even look at some of the specialties. Like we, you know, we have uh, uh, physicians that treat our patients across the spectrum of of specialties. Even urologists, a number of urologists treat it. A lot of them though, it's not their focus, right? M- meaning they can, to be honest, they're off, they're doing like really expensive surgeries and they're getting paid a lot more to do that, right? So treating something kind of more, I would say standard, if you will, or low testosterone is not a core focus of there. So like you see that across the board. And so patients literally can't get care for this, right? If you had these symptoms that I'm describing low testosterone, where do you turn? Where do you go for help? And so I think to your original question, having like having a, a, a service and, and, a, and a and I would say in a care model where you're shortening that time. Like I have these symptoms. I can speak to somebody really, really, really uh, knowledgeable about it. I can get treatment and I feel better on treatment. I feel amazingly better in treatment because you can shorten that. I think it's a very interesting graduate consumer. Yeah, Stuart. So how do you educate the, uh, uh, you know, by the way, I think testosterone is, is an element even that it could apply as I've learned to, to women as they age. But Absolutely. putting that aside for a moment, so how do you educate men about this as our initial target market here? Because there is that stigma. They think, oh, I'm doing anabolic steroids or it's going to lead me to have all of yep. these, these terrible yep. after effects. And so, you, you know, one of the, one of the things I've, I've discovered is, is there's just a real lack of education in the space about hormone therapy generally. So just cur- curious, you know, how you yep. all are thinking about that. Yeah, it's a good question. Well, I think a couple of things, right? The way we're engaging with patients, right? The first thing patients do is they can come and they can get their get their labs done. They do an at-home blood test. They can at least see where they are, right? Then they can speak to one of our physicians. So we have we have about 60 doctors that are seeing our patients seven days a week. And so they are seeing our patients, they're treating them, they're experts in low testosterone care. And so that's kind of the first place they start. Hey, I want to talk to a physician. They'll have my labs. They'll have a very extensive medical intake. 
let's talk about it, right? Maybe care is appropriate for them. Maybe not testosterone, but a lot of men also take a drug called Clomid, which may be familiar with from the fertility world. There's, so there's other medications you can take. And so the first thing is, hey, I want to get my labs on, talk to a physician and see what's appropriate, right? Only a certain percentage of men may, testosterone itself might be appropriate for, and then they have that conversation with their doctor to decide what, what's appropriate. But that's the first thing. And then in terms of like, you know, how do you educate the market? I think it's a really great question, something we're spending more time thinking about. One of the things that we did was we have a community on our, on our website. We have thousands and thousands of men that are having conversations because we actually found that that was a great way to have those conversations between patients, whether they're a home patient or not, right? Certainly some are, but some are. And they're like, hey, I'm having these symptoms and other men will jump in and say, hey, I tried this or I tried that. Because at the end of the day, right, it's, you know, there's a lot of treatment pathways out there for people and maybe some men have found other, you know, other ways to do it. They don't need medication. That's great. We want them to have that sort of that, that learning education through home. That's something that, that we want to foster as we, as we grow the company. Stuart, there was um, a really good This American Life episode on testosterone a few years ago. I'm not sure if you listened to it, but one of the stories was of a, a transgender man who was explaining not an not realizing how testosterone is so related to desire. And I remember him talking about being on the subway and just being like attracted to everyone. It was like, oh my God, I understand now. Yep. You know, we we think of testosterone as this, this, it's a sex hormone and overuse can be dangerous. So I'm curious how you're protecting society from overprescribing or prescribing in cases where it really isn't indicated. Yeah, it's a good question. So I think I think at the end of the day, what the right thing to do when you're providing medical care to patients is use generally accepted protocols for care, right? Use protocols that are accepted by the American Urology Association, by the Endocrine Society. And so our protocols for that physicians use to treat patients follow those protocols. In some cases, actually, are, are actually, I would say, more conservative, require more testing. And so that's something yeah. that, that we do really, really well. And I've, you know, it's funny as I see other providers in the, in the space, and this is more broad than even testosterone, you realize that there's such a range of uh, care being provided. And I think yeah. that, I think we do a really good job of following generally accepted protocols to make sure we're treating patients that have a clinical need. And in yeah. cases where where it's not, you know, we we say great, you know, hey, well, I would try these supplements, or I would try doing this with your lifestyle. Come back to us in three months or six yeah. months because it's it's just not it's not a one size fits all approach. And so we're yeah. really careful about that because we want to make sure that we're not, you know, we, we don't ever want to be perceived as 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 you know uh, a, a medical mill. care group. <laughs> yeah, tell yeah. that somebody's going to say, hey, I. Yeah. I just put stick my hand up and want, and you know, when we're talking to physicians that might want to join and, and you know join the medical groups to treat our patients, I mean, it's something we talk about pretty pretty directly. Like we're not a place where patients raise their hand and say, "Hey, I want medication. I'm going to come to provider." And there's, I mean, you know, obviously everybody here knows there's tons of companies out there that are providing care like this to patients. Yeah, that's just not our model. Our model is to really provide, I would say, medical care by generally accepted protocols and provide that care. Uh, and it's a way yeah. for patients to access to it. So what percent of folks who take the test qualify for treatment for low T? And then how does satisfaction with the company compare? I've heard of companies that similar to yours, where if a patient thinks they have something and then they test 
and they don't actually have it. They feel stuck, like they didn't get the answer that they wanted. Yeah, it's it's a good question. Like I have to look at the data. Like I, I, I off the top of my head, like I probably maybe only half. I mean, it's definitely a big chunk of patients that that come aren't even you know it's they don't have a clinical need for it, right? Yeah. And so at the end of the day, um, those patients might have to find other solutions, right? And to your to your second question. Of course that happens, right? You, you, I mean, I would say not as much as you'd think, but certainly we have patients that say, hey, I saw a physician, I am convinced I have low testosterone, and this physician said not, or I need you know, medication, whether it's testosterone or not, I need medication, and that's up to the physician, right? They have to make a decision of what's appropriate to care for them. And so I think you have that, you know, you have that out there, and Patients have to decide, like, hey, where do I want to go get care, right? There are lots of places you could probably go that you'll find a physician that didn't have, wasn't, I would say, following as rigorous a protocol. Maybe they only do one lab test. Maybe they have a very short meeting. Maybe they don't do, like, a any sort of exam on the patient, right? I mean, that's, like, you see the range of, of care, right, all across the spectrum. And so there certainly are places for patients to go to get that care. That's not the care we're delivering. And so our, our kind of stance is... You know, that's not, you know, I, I, you have other yeah. things though, that you're able to, you're able to give them community supplements. Like they, they, Absolutely. Can, and they can walk away and feeling like there's some path for them. Uh, that, and also I would say we, we also, uh, about a year ago, we, we also added some different longevity medications that our patients and our community was asking about. So things like metformin and, and B12 and glutathione. And, and so, so there's other things that we can offer. And, and at the end of the day, right, like our ambitions are to continue to grow the company because there are, there are a broader set of conditions that our, our current patients are asking about, our physicians are asking about that we want to move into. Because at the end of the day, I, you know, I really, our vision is we want to really be known to provide excellent care for patients, both men and for women that are, you know, call it in the 35 to 60 year old demographic. That's kind of the core demographic of, I would say an age range where going to your primary care doctor is not the solution. They're looking for acute things. They're looking for, Hey, I've got a cough. I need some medication. I've got a cut. I need some antibiotics or whatever, whatever it is. And so that's kind of where your, you know, the primary care aspect is playing in, not in, Hey, have these, these conditions that like, I just, they're a longer term and I need to get care for them, but I don't know who to ask. We really want to, I say, we want to serve that patient base and broader than low testosterone over time. Yeah. I think Stuart, I, you know, to where Hallie, we always think about it as, you know, customer acquisition funnels, right. And, and that's kind of what we're getting to is like your top of funnel and, and really like how you're talking about community. We believe in community a lot at Define, and then how does it go down the funnel to then mm -hmm. get to, you know, obviously treatment and care and Hallie's saying there's probably multiple modalities, but then how it also interlaces into your CAC and then interlaces into your, your business model as well. So this sure. might be a good point too, Stuart, is to talk about your business model in terms yep. of there sounds to be like, if you will, the hormonal path, there might be a supplement path, yep. et cetera. Walk us through that, Stuart, as as you've acquired this patient, as we will, and 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 what Sounds that looks like. Yeah, so 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 patients come, they see one of our ads, they might say, "Hey, I have some of the symptoms that that maybe Hone is saying," and I, I you know, "Hey, I have low energy, I have low libido, I have the things that are symptoms of low testosterone." They will then purchase a blood test kit from us, so they'll come. 
the principal test kit, they can either do it at home or go to a lab corp. It's really up to them. Uh, that's a whole separate discussion. People want to do what they want to do. And so they'll do that blood test. They'll then book a consult with a physician. So they can come, say we have 60 doctors that are set up to see our patients, and they'll book a consult with a physician. They do a very thorough medical intake form. They do an initial 30-minute uh, consultation. So they really talk a lot about why they're there, what symptoms they have. Uh, they're really in-depth. It's funny. One of the things that our physicians have said repeatedly is they're shocked at how chatty and how much the men would want to share about their health uh, because you know you, it's kind of counterintuitive in a lot of ways. And um, they have that conversation. And so out of that consultation can then come many different things, right? Could come, hey, I know you're having these symptoms here, but I looked at your labs and I looked at, looked at some of your, your health background. I don't think medications that we're providing right now, like that's maybe that's not a fit. I think you should do X or Y and they'll kind of send them on their way, right? Or you should go check out this type of provider, you know, locally. Or the, you know, they might, the physician might say, hey, you know what? I think I would try X or Y supplement, right? That could help you. And try that for the next three months or four months. Try that. Or you could have kind of you know, the other patient, which is, you know what? I, I think medication is appropriate here. I, I've seen what you've tried. I've seen your, what you've tried to do to uh, modify your lifestyle or whatever. That's appropriate. Now, your labs tell me that there's some clinical need here, and they'll prescribe medication. And so um, at that point, then you know, the patient can sign up for a, for a membership. And then uh, depending on what medication the patient's on, if they're going to get testosterone, they'll have to do a secondary blood test because it's kind of following along what the generally accepted uh, guidelines are, protocols are for care. And uh, at that point, they'll get medication every single month, similar to, I would say, many of the other D2C companies. They get their medication shipped to them. Ours is very, I would say, <laughs> ours is a bit more complex because we have patients that have to do a blood test and a consultation every 90 days. Uh, for the first year. And so it, it's a it's a constant get medication, do a blood test, see a physician, because we're really trying to narrow in on what medication is working for you, what dosage is working for you. And so so that's kind of the, the typical journey that we have with patients. And to come back to your original question, the economics of the business are, are frankly really good, right? We pay back our patients right now in about three or four months. So which I think I've heard other companies and I know pretty familiar with some of the economics of a lot of DDC companies. I think it's probably you know on the on the better end uh, of companies. Our attention is really good. I mean, patients really, if they're they love their home physician, if they're feeling much better with their care, they're really happy to stay with home, right? They they love the care that they're getting. I literally, I think it was this week, I was talking to patients that have been with us. They were our, some of our first patients in April of 2020. They're still with us today, uh, which is which is awesome and really gratifying. And I love like asking them, like, "Hey, how are you doing on the program? How are you feeling?" And um, it's really cool to see that because I'm really happy that they found the care they're looking for and that we provided a value for them that they uh, they're still with us three years later. Hey, Stuart, one process question then, and then and then want to talk about the physicians for a moment. So on the process yeah. side, so every ninety days you're getting a, a follow up blood test. Presumably, you're, you're yep. doing a, a follow-up telemed as well with the physician, and then Perhaps. they're either tinkering yep. or adjusting maybe your dosage. I, I assume it's a self-injection uh, once a week, but, but maybe it's a couple of times a week depending on, on, on the blood test results and how they're metabolizing yep. the testosterone over that period. Um, 
<laughs> yeah, so go ahead. Sorry. So I just want to yeah, give you a chance there. No, that's okay. It's a really good question. So yeah, so they they do their 90-day uh, blood test. They either do it at home or go to a lab corp. Most most who actually go to a lab corp, uh, which is interesting because it's kind of counter to a lot of the, the like everybody's like, "Oh, everybody's going to start doing testing at home. That's the way of the future." And I actually I'm I think it's a part of the future, but it's not the whole thing. Like we have patients that are like, "Look, I live 10 minutes from a lab corp and a Walgreens. Like I'd rather just hop in there on my lunch break, do my labs and I'm done. Um, but of course you have patients that live 150 miles from a nearest lab and sort of like, great, I don't do it at home. Uh, but they do that. They have their, their consultation. And Michael, to, to your point, exactly what happens. They'll look at the labs, look at the doses that they're on. And that actually comes back to a point that the Halley made, right? Which is their physicians are trying to make sure that their testosterone is in the right range for them as a patient, right? And so not looking to take them and increase their testosterone too high because there's really no clinical need for that. There's, you know, there's no reason to have more side effects. And so that's kind of what they're doing. And so they might say, hey, I think you need a higher dosage because, you know, I, 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 you know, you metabolize it too fast. I have to give you more or I might have to drop it down. So that's what they're looking at every 90 days. And so they want to get to the point where after a year, they're like, hey, okay, this is really stable. Then they kind of back off and we'll see the patient every six months, which is pretty common. And um, But that's what they're doing. And to the other question about self-injection, it's really fascinating. Before we launched, for patients that are taking testosterone, you can do injections, you can do creams. Uh, you can also do trochies, which are a kind of like, think about like a starburst that you put under your tongue and, and use it. And before we launched, I mean, I didn't know anything about this space. I said, well, of course, you're going to see creams and trochies be like, why? Of course, that's going to be the preferred one. 95% of people on testosterone, at least through us, want injections. That's what they prefer. It's up to the doctor and the patient, but um, it's just counterintuitive the way you would have thought. Yeah, I thought men were big babies about <laughs> needles. <laughs> yeah. Stuart, it's so interesting you talk about that you know, patient journey. And, and again, one of the things we tend to think about, well, there could be some friction with that and, and just acknowledging that head on, right. And trying to remove kind of that friction that could be through the process. There's also, I always like to think as a venture capitalist offensively, which is opportunity set. And mm -hmm. the mere fact that you are in front of the patient, it's one of the reasons in one of my historical investments around diabetes, like we love the fact that type two diabetics check their blood glucose one to two times a day. We had frequent engagement, daily active usage, if 100%. you want to think it that way. Now you obviously have more of a, a 90 day curve, but that is quite some time. And my guess is you really have to regulate that dosage pretty well for, you know, that patient to have a more personalized regimen, if you will. And exactly. so what are the offensive things that you can do with that type of engagement? And you you kind of hinted to us, you know, maybe future product, I like to call them V1, V2, V3s, you know, of how you might evolve. But what can you do offensively with that type of engagement? So I would say we're thinking about it in, a, I would say, in a couple of different paths. So the, the first thing is we're evolving the model to be a little more concierge in nature, to be more proactive than reactive. Because, you know, it's great that our patients are doing a blood test and seeing a doctor every 90 days, but we want to have check-in points with, you know, with hone, even in between that. We have patients that write in, they say, hey, I'm experiencing X side effect, or hey, is this how it should feel, right? And we'll have a nurse give them a call, or they'll have a consult with their physician that they have. 
So there's, I would say a lot of times where that cadence actually is more frequent than 90 days because they're just, they have more questions in the earlier days. And we want to evolve that model because, you know, just like you're saying with diabetes, right? Like you know, I spent a lot of years in diabetes, having more touch points and having more engaged with that patient is just generally a really positive thing because they're just, they're getting great care that way. And they, they feel like they're getting great care from a, a company that really cares about them. So we're trying to evolve it in, in that way. The second thing is, and, you know, to your other point, right? Our patients and our physicians and the community is asking for more things, right? Because at the end of the day, if somebody comes to us with a lot of these symptoms, but it isn't testosterone, right? Not something we can help them with, right? So from, purely from a business point of view, we've spent the money to acquire that patient. We've you know, they've done their labs. They've, they've seen one of our doctors. We've paid the doctor. They've taken up a, a precious slot in, in the schedule. And then it's like, hey, you know what? They're, it's Low testosterone care is not appropriate for this patient. There's lots of other things that, that could be appropriate, right? I mean, think about it. There could be different longevity meds. We won't, we've only such started touching the surface of some of them. There's a lot of them coming out of the market now. There's thyroid. There's weight. There's, I mean, we're only serving men right now, right? We've been honest with people. Like, I think we're missing <laughs> the other half of the market. There's a lot of opportunity there. Uh, and it's, I would say, there's are large areas that we've, that we, I would say we've done really well in the niche or say in the market we've, we've been in today, but there's lots of places that, that we can grow. The other thing which I'll mention, which I, I didn't really talk about before is, and I don't, I don't know how every company does it differently. I think one of the core things we've done well is we actually built our entire infrastructure stack because it's such a complex care journey that there was nothing out there that we could buy off the shelf and use in a way. And I'm, I, I think I tweeted this, I don't know, like a year ago, which I think people resonate with people. I was like, literally every single third party sort of infrastructure solution is always like 80% right. And you always are like annoyed because you're like, oh, it's so close, but that 20% is going to kill me. And so I, I and you kind of have this build by decision. And so we kind of realized early on, we're like, look, we're going to use third-party tools to get going and, you know, start seeing patients. Then we have to build our own our, our own system because it's just such a complex care journey with all the lab testing, with the, with the consults every 90 days, and with how patients are getting medication that we had to build out on our own. And I think that actually also plays into making the, the journey a bit more customized for patients so that they are feel they're getting the great care that way. They're getting a medication on time every every month. Uh, and they feel like that they're, and they're feeling better, right? And so at the end of the day, they want to have sort of, they know that Hone is there to answer questions for them. There are physicians there to answer questions for them, but they're also feeling better. And they're like, hey, like I, where am I going to go? Like this is, this is, this is, this is what I'm paying for. I'm paying for care that I can't get anywhere else. Yeah. I was just going to ask if the patient user, does, does he stay with the same physician through the journey or is it, yeah. Or Great is it question. a different doc? And because uh, to your point early on, there's different protocols, there's different senses of what's appropriate for a particular patient. So curious about that. And then my yep. second question, Stuart, I really, it's a topic that's near and dear to my heart because it comes up in, in the legal structuring of a lot of these startups. Are the physicians employees of Hone Health or are they consultants, advisors? Yep. I'll tick it in, in that order, right? So, so first question about a patient continuity of care. We generally try to have patients stay with their physicians throughout their, you know, the journey. We we built the, the way our scheduling system works and the way we kind of push patients through it is we kind of we want them to book with the same provider as last time, right? Um, which is great. I don't like. I would imagine at this point 
I'm guessing 70 or 80% are kind of having that continuity of care. I haven't looked, but I'm just, I'm probably not that far off because we suggest that. We say, hey, go be work with your physician. Of course, there are going to be cases where I'm going out of town on a work trip next week. I got to see somebody this week. And the doctor I've seen is fully booked for the week. I'll see somebody else, right? So we generally try to have that because I think it's just, I mean, everybody wants that. Patients want it because they love their doctor that they've seen before. The physicians want it because they want to track that patient throughout their care journey. And so at the end of the day, that, that's, that's what we try to do. On the, the other question in terms of, of how we're structured, you know, we like probably most of Lynn's portfolio and pretty much every telehealth company in the US, uh, a lot of people use Foley and Lardner. Like we have really great sort of telemedicine guidance on that. And so we have, uh, I would say the standard structure, you know, PC structure that most, that pretty much all telemedicine companies have. And so the physicians are obviously employed by the medical practice so they can sort of independently provide medical care. Now, I think Michael's question is is a good one, and I don't think we'll be able to peel back the surface of this in this in this meeting. But I think also what we really also think about as you think about those new product areas is your clinical staffing model, right? And the specialists yep. that you might need for different verticals, which then, you know, as you think about your care margin and, you know, OPEX is is something that's really important for entrepreneurs to think about, which I'm sure you guys have. And yes. in deeper calls, uh, in closing time, we, we'd go into that level of detail. Well, and and I mean, obviously, that, that's uh, that's that's one of the things I think about as we're going it. One of the things I will I'll touch on now, just because I think Michael, you had asked about it before, and I can Please. touch on it. So we've actually hired our own physician network, right? So we, when we started, we obviously you know had the choice of do we work with some of the companies that are providing physicians that they as a service, right? And we all know sort of companies out there like Wheel and Steady MD. We said, look, it's going to be a lot slower. It's going to be a lot more time. We're going to interview and and bring on physicians that we interview that have deep domain expertise here. And so it, it took us uh, a while to kind of learn uh, who we're looking for, what are the good characteristics. I was talking to uh, somebody the other day, and I was saying that I think I've after three years of doing this and kind of talking to physicians, I can pretty accurately tell within like 99% chance of like who's going to end up being an amazing physician that'll work out in the long term and who were like, ah, oh, like I just, you know, I just feel like you might be late or you might not be responsive. And it's, it's you know, I mean, it's not any different than any other type of interviewing. And so, so we have a really great physician network now that we, I would say, are very much following the protocol that we have they're bought, you know, that's the type of care they provide. Uh, and so that's what's seeing our patients. But to touch on something that Lynn, you brought up, really great question, right? How that's one of the things that we're going to have to solve over the coming years is, well, how do you evolve that care model when you're not treating one something that's very narrow, but a bit broader? And who are the providers that you have that are really knowledgeable treating that? Maybe who aren't? And how do you do that? It's a complex problem. And we've, we've built a lot of really great technology. So I'm, I think because the technology we've built and how it's able to route patients, how it's able to kind of like, I would say, provide much more interesting automated workflows. We'll be able to do it, um, but it's definitely something that will get more complex as you have more more areas. Stuart, can you tell us a little bit about um, your guys' top line growth and margins? And then 
Lynn, I'm curious how you're thinking about it these days. In 2023, you know, I, I'm hearing a lot about the importance right now of profitability. Um, but Stuart, maybe you can give us um, the the summary first. Sure, sure. So, I mean, I will tell you, you know, we don't disclose any sort of a public revenue figures, but we're I would say we're probably one of the larger men's health providers in in the country at this point, and we're profitable. So we've, I, if you look at the at the market of sort of VC backed telehealth companies, we about a year year and a half ago when the market, you know, when I would say the whole macro environment started to shift, sort of made the decision to say, look, we want to very clearly get to profitability. We want to, you know, make sure we're not just throwing money at growth and really, I would say, having a very, very clear, profitable path to operation. And so that's what we spent the last, you know, the last year doing uh, because it was really important to us to be in a place where the business was sustainable and we could then take some of that, you know, <laughs> now they're cash flow positive to reinvest in other areas. And so, you know, I think there's a, there's a spectrum of companies doing kind of all across the spectrum. We just felt like seeing the macro environment sort of changing, like just literally in front of our eyes, that it it was a prudent way to grow the business to, you know, focus on profitability, focus on unit economics, you know, like our, for our subscribers, you know, typically you look in the, in the 50% sort of gross margin range. And that, that's, I think, pretty consistent for sort of tech enabled services Like you're not as high as sort of software and stuff like that, but it's, it's a pretty decent gross margin. It's better than and- a lot of the tech enabled services I've seen. Yeah. So, and so it's, it's, it, I think, I think we're doing, doing well there. And I think that we just had to focus on that. And so the trade-off is growing a little bit more slowly, expanding to other areas a little bit more slowly, but I, you know, I'm very, I'm really curious to see what Lynn says, because, you know, I look at it from a, from a founder and operator point of view, that's what we're seeing. Uh, and so we kind of had just had, we wanted to get ahead of that because we're like, I just don't know when the market will change, you know, we'll kind of, I don't think we're going to go back to how it was in 2020 or 21 forever or quite a while, but even getting a lot better than how we're like, I don't know when that's going to happen. And I don't think we're, I mean, we're still not back to any sort of, I would say, steady state, I don't think. And so we just really wanted to focus on, on profitability. Yeah. I mean, Stuart, that that's phenomenal. And, you know, typically, when we think of businesses in the seed stage, right, it's kind of the vision, it's first build, you know, series A is really that product market fit. And then series B is when you need to have some scale to even be, to be thinking about profitability or, but you always, even from the seed stage, we would say you have to have your eye to that and you build your platform understanding, but knowing that it will take, you know, some volume, some growth to get there. So I think, Stuart, it sounds like you're probably ahead of the game a little bit, you know, not knowing exactly how many users you have, et cetera. And I think one of the great things is there are comps out there now. And, you know, it sounds like your margins are kind of this hybrid between, you know, services and then some that might be a bit more you know, prescription-based and, and it's hybrid because you do have quite a bit of follow-up in Absolutely. your customer life cycle. So it doesn't shock me your kind of where you're sitting right now. And with greater scale, you could probably yield some more efficiencies in that. And, and we've seen that with other direct-to-consumer models too, which, you know, obviously is, 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 uh, allows you to be kind of profitable on, on the other end. And what's always hard, Hallie, at this stage is like, you can't give up growth but you also have to be profitable. So 
I, it's like, you have to, I, I joked, you know, it's like managing in a tale of two cities between 21 and 22 and 23. And now I would argue you have to be both in both those cities at the same time. And so you, you can't ratchet the business so far back that you can't have that growth. So it is a very difficult game. And Stuart, I think to your point is like, making sure in your core business, I'm assuming you guys are looking at all that cohort curve analysis. We haven't gotten to that here. Your, you know, LTV to CAC ratios and when do you invest more? Because if you're riding higher than three, you'd argue we're not spending enough, right? Or if you're below three, like we've got to get to that magic number. How do we do that in our core? And then you, and then the cohorts across that core, right? Then you have your new products and your new services and those, again, kind of starting the understanding in that cohort curve analysis of where you are, where you should be, where are the synergies. And then we can start thinking about, you know, cross-selling, right? And and what I like to think of almost like an average basket over time. Um, but those are t- things that come. And, and the fact that if you're profitable today, you've just gained yourself. And what I say to, to entrepreneurs, you've gained yourself optionality. Right. And that's everything in this market. So, you know, congratulations on that. You know, it now you, what I say, control your own destiny into when you want to raise more, how you want to meter that growth is really important in this day and age. Yeah. We, I really appreciate that. And that, that was kind of how we thought about it was there's intuitively when we go down the path of adding more products, we didn't even touch on this. Like we want to go and start getting, uh, in network contracts, right, which already started to do that. So we can let patients use their insurance for some of their consults and so pay for some of this, which is going to reduce what they're going to pay out of pocket. All these things that we want to do, to your point, is going to help, right, the overall economics of the business. And so if you're the business is really healthy today, profitable, paybacks are good, you know, all the retention data is really good. Uh, and you have the optionality to say, hey, you know what, everything looks good. Let's invest more money today. We can do that. Um, but then knowing that there's a lot of other, you know, in the future, there's a lot of ways that we can even make it better. And that's, you know, we wanted to be able to have flexibility and time to do that because I'll tell you, like my one, I would say one of the key learnings in the last sort of three and a half years now doing this, it is a very, very complex business. Um, and usually I was even talking to our CTO the other day and we were kind of joking that like, all the problems and all the, you know, all of the, the, I would say the challenges that you have to build such a a large intricate infrastructure stack to serve this many patients. Had you known what all the problems would have been before you started, you might've said, that's crazy. I don't want to go do that. But you just say, Hey, well, you know what, I'm just going to go and start and I'll figure them out as I go. And and that's, I mean, I I talked to other founders, other doing other virtual care companies all along the spectrum of where they are. And, you know, I'm kind of like, yep, you're right here right now. And you're going to run into these challenges in another six months and you're eventually going to get there. But um, to your point about the market, I just, we wanted to be able to really decide for ourselves how to grow, how fast to grow, be opportunistic, but also not depend on the market because at the end of the day, um, I think it's still in a bit of flux from you know how it was in 2021. Stuart, Lynn, thank you both so much. Uh, Stuart, congrats on all the terrific success. As Lynn said, congrats on controlling your own destiny here. That's it for closing time for today. I want to thank our guests, Lynn, Stewart. Thank you both so much for joining us. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast so you never miss an episode and and check out our website, 
uh, for more exclusive content. Until next time, this is Mike Lescabell with my phenomenal co-host Hallie Teco for Closing Time. <laughs> Thanks, everybody. And that's closing time for today. A huge thanks to our partners at Fenwick for underwriting this show. Recording, editing, and audio mixing by Kyle Moore. Thanks to our guests and to you, our listeners, for joining us. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast so you never miss an episode. And check out our website, closingtimepodcast.com, for more exclusive content. Until next time, this is Hallie Teco and Michael Esquivel for Closing Time. 